happens in your understanding of how the world works. Because for us to have a planet in which everybody has a, a basic standard of living is going to require us to cut our standard of living by a factor of four to ten, or at least our resource use, um, or we're going to face an absolutely enormous conflict because we will continue to consume an enormous amount of resources, everybody else will be on the edge of starvation, and will be interconnected by a single large global network, basically the internet. We're not in the world that we think we're in. The world that we think we're in is that our standard of living is kind of normal, natural, sustainable, reasonable, and so on. But actually, it's the product of roughly 500 years of colonial expansion and military domination by Europeans. We got to gunpowder and industrial production first. We basically enslaved the entire world. And the standard of living that we have is produced by unfair trade, occasional war, and huge burning of natural resources. So we're kind of sitting in a house which is on fire discussing what furniture we're going to buy next year. It's that radical reframing of how the world works which gives the opportunities for political change in a way which is directly continuous right the way through to why we can't get rid of the NSA without getting rid of capitalism too. We're at the head end of an extremely successful empire. We've been part of the colonial process our entire lives even if we didn't fully acknowledge it. And if we want to talk about solving the political problems that come with empire, we have to solve the problem of our own resource consumption because otherwise we depend on the empire to keep us wealthy even though we feel oppressed by the existence of the empire. Do you see how this kind of closes into a loop, right? On one hand, we are complaining about the NSA and the terrible actions of the American government. On the other hand, we drove here in two tons of steel running on oil that was taken at gunpoint from one country or another, right? Iran, you know, the, the great, you know, demon that is being set up for the next war, Iran had a democratically elected government in 1953, which was overthrown by the CIA because they nationalized the oil reserves. We live in a system which requires somebody to be oppressed for us to have our standard of living, and when we are the people that become oppressed by that system, we complain. If you want to get rid of the NSA, it starts with the fundamental resource consumption processes of our societies. So right now, one of the paths out of this is that we go up a technology curve to the point where we can basically 3D print chicken sandwiches, as Smarty says. The problem is that if you can 3D print chicken sandwiches, you can also 3D print landmines. So the other path 
is to find an extremely low-resource, low-risk mechanism where all of the essential needs of human beings can be met in a way that doesn't require this enormous colonialist or imperialist or capitalist structure to hold the disparities in place. As long as we are dependent on a system of global oppression to give us cheap natural resources and to maintain the wealth disparity between us and the poor of the world, those systems of oppression serve our basic needs and as a result we cannot get free of them. Right? The snake is eating its own tail. And the only way of getting out of this is to get into a position where we are no longer dependent as a culture and as a civilization on the standing means of political oppression for our basic survival needs. The solution to the war in Iraq was to stop driving. undergoing a gigantic shift in consciousness and because we're in the middle of it it's kind of difficult to see it's kind of difficult to to know it for sure but I think in two three hundred years time when the history of this epoch comes to be written it's going to be recognized as a transformatory moment in the story of humanity I, I think huge undercurrents are at work and and huge changes are are taking place all over the planet people are waking up they're they're stopping sleepwalking and starting looking where they're going and thinking about what they're doing 
What are some specific examples that you can cite that are that that indicate that we're entering this period of awakening? Well, first and first and foremost, uh, let's consider the medium in which you and I are communicating on at the moment, which is the which is the internet. Um, the 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 internet is a huge part of this because what the internet is doing is allowing like-minded people to connect all around the planet to bypass the roots of communication that have been laid down for them by others to bypass the big media uh, and to communicate with one another directly. Uh, I think this is it's impossible to overstate the importance of this. You know, for, for centuries, for thousands of years, really, we've been brought up with the model of nationalism, or, or before that, of tribalism, nationalism, patriotism. These have been the ways that the, uh, the authorities have pressed our buttons. They've pressed our buttons through the big religions where we all sit there and receive a sermon from the, you know, the, the, the rabbi or the mullah or the priest. Um, they've, they've controlled the channels of communication. And now with the internet, where all of us can get at it and, and speak to one another directly, those controlling powers and authorities are losing their grip on us. Uh, more and more of us have lost faith completely in the big media. Personally, I don't even watch television anymore. I can't bear it. You know, it's mm. just so re so repulsive, so ugly, so unpleasant. And I know that, that more and more people feel that way. As I say, we're seeing the first glimmers of the light at the moment, but it's growing, it's growing stronger every day. So this possibility to communicate with one another directly, this helps us to realize that we all really are brothers and sisters, uh, that the, the buttons of fear and hatred and suspicion that the controlling authorities have pressed again and again, that, uh, that they, with their appeals to patriotism. See, I detest patriotism. I know that may be an unpopular view to some, but I see no merits in patriotism. I don't see why I should feel specially loyal to somebody because by an accident of birth, they happen to be born on the same piece of land as, as I was. I'm interested, I'm interested in their ideas. And that's what the, the internet allows. It allows the direct, direct communication at the level of ideas. And it allows us to subvert established networks and communicate uh, di directly with one another. This is, a, this is a very important development. Another important development is adult sovereignty over consciousness. And this is a subset, actually, of the whole issue of our personal health and the control we take over Oh, 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 oh,
Creativity, creativity is evolution in our hands. Creativity is the spark of life, the spirit that animates the entire cosmos. It's what is most often identified with God, you know, the initiator and the source. So creativity is both a source, a supply and an output. And how would you say, how would you say that your art evolves consciousness? Because it proposes the possibility of realizing things we may not have. And in that way, it enlarges our context that can compel you to become a better person. That's the, the trick of really great art, is to become a better person after viewing it or after creating it. I think of it as a covenant between the creator and the viewer. It creates this possibility where a, uh, an energetic spark can pass, divine spark of the creative spirit alive in great works of art is like a direct soul transmission. It's a loop from the, from the highest uh, source. That is the opportunity to really hook the next stage of our evolution, which would be toward comfort with our own psychic abilities and with our own intuition. We want to open our third eyes. We want to get beyond the rational. We don't want to go unconscious and dig down into the swamp of our shadows. We want to acknowledge and shine a light on them, but not live in those areas. We want to point higher. And by opening our third eye, we're seeing the possibilities that exist for us. And it opens us to the world of visionary light. There's a, a realm of luminosity that all clairvoyants talk about. And who are clairvoyants but the next phase of human evolution? You know, these are people who have developed other capacities. Their visionary physiology, which is withered in most of us, has become activated. It's come online. Where do you see the consciousness of, of the planet today and society today? Where do you believe it's going? I think that we're at this point of the, the need for breakthrough and the tremendous frustration of, of massive numbers of people and suffering. And part of our tribe, and especially the 20-somethings the and even the teens, they get it immediately. There isn't any tolerance of bullshit. It's why Bernie is so favored by the young people. They're, they're intolerant of bullshit. And uh, they want to hear ideals articulated, vision articulated. People who still are alive to the possibility of vision that can help us survive the tight spots to come. Because we have to plan for overarching survival. We have to get off our addiction to oil. We have to find the new energy source and uh, start to wind down the outworn nuclear facilities. 
And we have to get independent solar technologies out as soon as possible. Would you say that people are hungry for mystical experiences? I think that it's in all of our souls. And that at this point, because of our immersion in materialism, and Paul McCartney, composer, in this country for a brief business visit. 
John Lennon and Paul McCartney, what do you think is the one single thing that most contributed to your phenomenal, unprecedented success these past eight or nine years? Any single thing? Uh, God? I'll go along with that. Uh, 
panic-stricken is a better word for it. And uh, I went through, as a result, uh, all the processes of uh, medical examinations, psychiatric examinations, trying to determine why this was happening. Robert, describe for us your first... Can you remember it? Oh, I can remember. Uh, you still look frightened. <laughs> oh, hang on. Uh, very simple. Uh, I had been encountering uh, a phenomenon that was like a vibration in the body, and uh, I had gone to my doctor about it, and he had uh, said, oh, that's just nerves and so on, and I would have to wait till this... Uh, faded out and it was it's not a physical vibration incidentally and one night I was lying in bed uh, waiting for this vibration to cool down or fade away as it were so that I could um, simply roll over and go to sleep because I didn't feel I should go to sleep or couldn't as a result of this taking place on that particular night I was waiting because it was a Friday night and Saturday was a going to be a beautiful, bright, cold front day, meaning a good day for gliding. So I was lying in bed thinking what a nice time I was going to have that Saturday. And on that particular time, I was in the process of thinking this way, uh, I suddenly uh, felt something bumping against my shoulder. And I looked, and here was this, what looked to be the floor, bumping against my shoulder. And I thought, that's strange. I don't remember going to sleep. And I looked across, and I said, there's no rug on the floor. I looked more closely, and there was something sticking up out of the floor that shouldn't be there. And trying to perceive what this was, I got a real close look, and it was the chandelier. And in desperation, I realized that I was not bumping against the floor, I was bumping against the ceiling. And I flopped around in the air and looked down, and there below me was the bed, and here was my wife in bed, and here was a man in bed with my wife. Oh. And my first response is, well, this is an odd kind of Freudian-type dream. And I thought, well, I better get a good look at this man who was in bed with my wife. And I moved over a little bit closer, and with a great shock, I discovered that the man in bed with my wife was me. <laughs> and uh, then I went through this great emotional surge that I'm dying, death is here, I don't want to die, let me get back in there. And so I swam down to the body, popped in, and how, I don't know. And then I sat up in bed and looked around, everything was quiet. My wife was lying there in bed, and I looked up, and there was a chandelier. And needless to say, I did not sleep the rest of that night. The next day, um, I hurried myself down to my favorite doctor, and he knew I was worried, but he couldn't find anything wrong with me. And that began the search. I fearfully tried to avoid letting this take place again, and as things do happen, it takes place again, and you have to fight the surge of panic about it. it you know, <clears throat> I have gone to sleep many times and not remembered going to sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had what I guess we know as dreams or even nightmares, and I guess they're probably different. So how do you know it wasn't that, or it isn't that, when you go in and have an out-of-body? It took me almost a year of very cautious exploration to determine that it was not a dream. How do you explore it? Well, first, you go just a little bit, and you look around, then you duck back in. Then you go a little further, as I did in the initial stages. Uh, so in other words, you have complete control of out-of-body? When you, when you go through this in a careful process, you do, yes. I would be afraid of getting lost. 
Now, I know that sounds silly, but what if you went out and went around the block or something, got lost, couldn't get back? I did that a times. Did you? Yes. Well, see, it's not so silly. You could get lost. Oh, you do. It's amazing. For example, uh, unless you have been uh, uh, in a helicopter, for example, over San Francisco at night, let's say you find yourself, if you're only 100 feet over, a whole bunch of rooftops. And try and find yourself and see where you are. Any questions from the audience about this? Um, yeah. Jill. When, when did this start? How old were you? I mean, was it like you were a kid? No, it did not uh, start when I, I was about, hmm, about 40 years old. Mm -hmm. Really? And it, is it still happening oh. today? I mean, do you... Yes, in a different form. But you control it completely today, is that right? Oh, you, you, you mean, wait, wait, you, you know when you're going to come out, you say, okay, tonight I'm going to go for around the block? Or... Yeah, well, I've gotten tired of going around the block. <laughs> Can you go far? Far? Uh, the farthest is about, well, I've gone around the world once. Just for the fun of it. Yes. It's, it's, um, uh, this time space gets very boring after a while. So you don't only go around the world, but you actually go out of the world. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, how many times can you go from Virginia to San Francisco, which has been one of my common runs, <laughs> before it gets boring? You like that, Rob? No, I just have a lot of friends here. <laughs> Do you uh, meet anybody else up there? Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, we do. Now, can this help people if they learn this out-of-body experience? Can it help them when they die or they think they're going to die or their time's up in this There's life? There's a major discovery that comes with the result of such activity or practice. Without any equivocation, without any uh, going past hope, belief, uh, uh, faith, you know that you do survive death. This changes your overview, your perspective. You have that knowledge. And it's not a religious thing. It's not a, a philosophic thing. It's a very, very pragmatic thing that you do survive physical death. And you also, as it says in your book, can take terminal patients and relieve them of their pain by getting them to this work is, this is what we do we, we let them establish a beachhead where they're going so that they're totally familiar with where they're going and then their fears evaporate completely and they make nice neat plans with some friends of theirs there uh, to have a welcoming party as it were so you're not you're not afraid of dying at all are you well yes i don't particularly want to i have too much to do here but uh, i'm not afraid of it I, I would think I would get rather irritated that if I had to die now, I'd be irritated. Is it possible, since you've had these out-of-body experiences, you know how you're going to die? Have you seen yourself die yet? <laughs> yes and no. I, I should give you one illustration that is important to me. Uh, I passed the 20 years... After the exit, I was whole again. Always, 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 
I respect his hustle, I respect his grind, everything. But yeah, man, man. Hey. Hey, man. You know what for me is I don't like that throwback bullshit. Man. I hate that shit. Get the fuck out of here because I feel like as a as an original spark, mm. I feel like you're doing yourself, you're creator a disservice. You're original, man. You're original spark. Why are you gonna do fucking the sixties? Any of these people who do and that it's fucking like, bullshit? They it's like they don't trust their own originality. Right. Come up with some shit. Like and and that's the whole moment that we're in. No one for, this, from the the movie studios to the music. No one trusts this moment to birth fucking original shit. So they're looking to remake this movie yeah. because that was a hit. Right. You know, you know that was successful. Like, listen. If it was, if if the creative intelligence was around then, it's around now. It doesn't go. Yeah, man. Just fucking trust it. Just, but you know, again, okay. not everyone has. I think. Yeah, you, yeah. You have a, a uniqueness. Sure. But all, I would say my uniqueness comes from the fact that I have very little ability. Right. I don't have a. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do what I can do. Sure. I don't like you know you can have these virtuoso musicians who can play every motherfucking any style. And they can't write an original song. I can only do fucking one thing, right. and so I'm swinging with what I've got. You know? Right. I don't know. Maybe but, you're maybe you're the same. But those are the people that are, David Bowie. He did what he did. Yeah. All of the people you, they they could only do what they could do. And right. It was enough, and it is enough. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, the the I thought about that a lot, man. The the contribution in that regard is okay. Yeah, you have that limitation, and that is pushing you in a certain way, but. Is also what you're bringing is is a is a unique vision perspective that's strong, artistic, and vivid. Mm. If you talk about David Bowie, you know, so it's still it's still I think as powerful as some guy who's ripping on a guitar. Agree. But man. it's a different part of the uh, machine. Yeah. You know? I mean, I like that's why you know I, one of my favorite all-time songwriters is Kurt Cobain, man. Just you know of of, of recent times at least. Sure. Just because he was just so fucking direct and essential with his yeah. melody and his harmony was fucking sick, man. Right. His harmony? Like, he's so under... His, his harmonic, the, the, the melody against the chord changes. Right. Fucking oh. sick, man. That's the shit that stops you every time when you hear it, you're like, it hits, it hits I, the mark all the time. I remember that time, man. I mean, I, I was in early high school with... Mm. It's romantic to think back about that period, but no cell phones, mm. dudes like Nirvana, MTV. It seems so distant now, man. You know, I was at that Unplugged, man, the MTV Nirvana Unplugged. You were there? Ooh, I was there. I got pictures there. I was, there was only three photographers there, and I sneaked the camera in. I've got like uh, 25 slides, original slides, of that thing that no one else has got, man. Like what, just a set? You got slides of... Of, of the live shit, yeah. How close were you? I had, a, I was up on the balcony, but I had a long lens, so I, was, you know, I'm in the in their face. There, there were only three photographers there. Yeah. There were you there, and the only three photographers that were allowed there. So was it, that that moment is stitched up by one of three photographers, apart from I've got all the I've got these slides as well, and officially now one knows. How did you sneak it in? How did you do it? With well, a fucking was, telephoto lens? Uh huh. How could you get because that? because I was working I was working it I was working as a uh, production assistant for MTV ah so I was up on the back I went up on the rafters I got a long lens and... was were there any other people up there 
there are a few other PAs, but they, oh, they, right. they, they, they were my boys, you know, they were all looking right. out for me. Wow. So at some point, if times get hard, I might yeah, you see. Let, sell those off, man. Or, like you got like close-ups of Cobain? Yeah, no, I've got, oh, I mean, oh, I said oh, a lot, I mean, I was on, I was right up close, with, I was right here with him, you know. Right. We were just set dressing the, the set, he came up wow. and it was like, they had plastic flowers they put yeah, on Yeah, I remember like, those flowers. He was like, oh, these, these are like, these aren't real. Oh, did you say that? Because yeah. I always thought that, I was like, why are these plastic no. fucking flowers? No, but then we had to go out and get a bunch of real ones as well. Oh, okay, all right. Like, all he right. was like, mm, you know. Right. When I think back about those times, it's just romantic. Mm. You know, no cell phones, no computers, Nirvana. <laughs> but now it's like, but remember, this will be romantic. I, this will be, yeah. This, these, I tell my girl, these are the good old days. Yeah. And we're going to look back and be like, ah, oh, do you remember? Yeah, I mean, it's all good. That's the thing. It's all great, man. Right. It's all such a fucking gift. It is all a fucking man. gift, but goddamn, a fucking cell. And I know, I know. And when you, when you zoom out on the macro, yes, this is the story we're in. It's as beautiful and as integral as any other time will be. But fucking hey, man, the, the, the mystique that's removed by all the technology, man. What's being removed is nature's access to us. Right. And that's the grounding thing. That's, that's the only thing that I would say about this moment, is that our centering, our grounding, and our, for our psychological beings is being pulled away from us underneath us as we get more reliant and focused on these screens we're losing our natural intuitive touch with reality our rhythm of interaction is going all, all kinds of stuff is it's changing you know you know and i don't want to say suffering i, I do actually believe it is suffering you know right. i think it's it's a more burdensome way to live it's less joyful right it's more abstract it's more conceptual the, the more you get away from reality and you're living in concepts, the, the greater danger there is of shit going wrong. Reality is, is, is the ground of being. It's, do you know what I mean? It's fucking subsidized. It's not distorted. It's not right. conceptual. conceptual. Mind. Yeah. It, it, there's something intrinsic in it that, that yeah. grounds you and centers you and holds you in place. When you go off that, look out. Like, so you mean in particular, like, for instance, like, if I go on Instagram, I'm looking at someone's edited life, all these edited lives, what's really real, it's all kind of synthesis. Showing you what they want to see, yeah. they want, you know, they want you to see. And it affects you, you're, you're like, oh shit, you know, it's all unreality, you know, mm. fucking people airbrushing everything, or the fact that people aren't having conversations like you and I having mm. conversations, mm. text. Because, like, how could, how could we have this conversation on a yeah. By text. Couldn't. I mean, so much is more is said with, you know what I mean? Sure. In the song, I, I went to see that cat, um, you heard of Adyashanti, this yeah. guy. He's a, he's a Buddhist, but he's a non-dualist teacher from the Bay Area. And he's, he was on Oprah and it's a cool cat. He used to be a competitive cycler, and, but he got, he got it. And uh, he teach, he's been teaching for about 20 years now. <clears throat> and he was speaking over in, in uh, Studio City on Friday, so I went, I went down to hear him, listen to him, and he's and he's cool, and he said a lot of great things, <clears throat> but I was I was taken by the silence between his between his words. Wow. I fell into it a lot of times, right? That's where it all hangs out. It wasn't what again? 
Yeah. It's infinite. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I'm can't like, put a I'm song listening. in seven eights. Right. Because it'd be one, two, three, four, five, one, two, oh, three, right. yeah. four, five, one, two. It doesn't seem complete. Right. It's like so, yeah, yeah. If you do a whole song like that, everybody gonna be like, oh, my brain, my my equilibrium is off. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It feels odd because it is odd. It's not supposed to work on Earth. Right, so even on the Earth plane, the mathematics suggests... It almost is what keeps us alive and what kills us. Right. It's almost that deep. Can you put the brains up? Yeah. Watch how this makes you feel. Give drugs to your kids. Give drugs to your sisters. Give drugs. Drugs. Damn. And if not drugs, then big booties. Right. Not real. No love. No love. Yeah. Looking at it. Yeah. No real heart. Right. No real hugs. No real kisses. Just girl come over, get naked, get dressed, and out of here. Because I gotta go track. Wow. And they don't know. You can't. You can put these. You can put that in trap. But you gotta slow it down, like. If you put some behind it, you gotta be like, girl, 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 come over. You can't be like, I love you, girl. Wow. It don't match. And if you do that, well, people, you think people won't feel it if you start talking about love and was like, what's wrong with you? No, it is. They will. It's just that they're gonna deliver. Now you got two weird messages. Cause you got trapped that's going so hard. Right. Yeah, I feel you. Man. The next song is gonna be like, "What's he doing here?" Yeah. Yeah. What's he doing you. here? Yeah, I've done stuff with Ish. We, I was like, "Yo, give me a trap beat," but then I came with my chords, 
And it's like, I'm like, yo, this shit don't, this shit. Yeah. This shit don't sound like trap music. This shit sound like. It's because your soul, you was putting your music over it? Yeah. It's because you were putting your soul. The, the rule of it, the real of it is, is oil and water don't ever, ever mix here on earth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as you get into the earth realm, right. you go by the earth rules. Mm-hmm. Everything on the earth works by the earth. They got that song. You know what that is? What's that? I like that chord, the second chord. This is our soul right here. That's black. That's our soul. What is that? Just the diminished chord. That's what that is. What you're doing on your chin, mm, that's huh. what that means. Damn. Let me stop for a second and figure something. Huh, there's something like. That's what this is. Then when you get to this, that's like. Resolve. No, no. Uh, I, I accept whatever that is. It's wrong, it's right, whatever it is, I accept it. Right. So it's. Accept think it. about it. Accept it. Uh, I'm fucking with it or I'm not fucking with it. Right. You know what I mean? Resolution then. Then they do it over and 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 over again. So you can feel present their candidates for the president of the United States. Americans are accustomed to having two teams. They watch football games, baseball games, and basketball where there's one team against the other team. Uh, That's kind of the way they see politics as well, I think. It affects their thinking. They think there's only two choices, Republicans and Democrats. You know, they've they've just grown accustomed to that uh, two-team mentality. But according to a Gallup poll, a record number of Americans, 40%, now identify themselves as political independents. There are many people who have expressed dissatisfaction with the current system, but they seem resigned to the notion that those people who are currently in positions of power are not going to want any sort of change and that we're not likely to see change anytime soon. For an independent or a third-party candidate, getting on a general election ballot is considered a doomed task in the U.S. Ralph Nader, an independent, a renowned lawyer, consumer rights advocate, ran for the presidency six times. It's harder to get on the ballot in this country by far than any Western democracy. Fifty different state laws, hundreds of different county laws. It's a total nightmare created by the two parties uh, to... Uh, avoid competition. It's basically a two-party elected dictatorship. We call it a duopoly. And they're all fighting ferociously over uh, who's going to go to the White House uh, so they can take up residence and uh, take the uh, orders from their corporate paymasters. Some analysts say the system works in a way to avoid any real change in the way America's governed. And special interests play a special role. 
The extended primary process we have in the U.S. gives special interests like uh, military contractors or others. It gives them time to monitor the election process and put in resources to attack anyone who's not uh, going, uh, you know, who's not going to give votes that are favorable favorable to them. So it does make it hard for an outsider to surprise the establishment. Presented with just two choices, many Americans vote not for who they see as president, but against the one they don't like. A lot of people don't necessarily vote for who they like. A lot of people vote Republican because they don't like the Democrats or they'll vote Democrat because they don't like or they're scared of the Republican. Uh, so lots of times you have Americans voting for the lesser of two evils. <laughs> who is the lesser of two bads? Many see the way candidates are picked in the U.S. as a safeguard against drastic change. But as the discontent among Americans grows over the country's foreign policy, over corporate controlled economy, so grows the push for fresh ideas and bold actions. But the question is, will the system allow in those who could break the much loved and much cherished business as usual, Washington mold? At this point today, with the, with the power of technology, I really do think it's just a question of how big is your is is your dream. Um, I think the technology is astounding. I also think uh, there's always been something very subcultural about the urge to change the world. Um, that has not that's not a, that doesn't tend to be a mainstream preoccupation so much. It tends to be much more subcultural. But for the very first time in history. Um, subculture right now, counterculture, rather than being punk rockers or misfits or whatever, it's entrepreneurs. That's, mm. as far as I could tell, the, the newest subculture. And I don't know how long it's going to last, but for right now, that's what you see. And, and, and it's blending, right? You go to Burning Man and you see Silicon Valley. And you go to Silicon Valley and you see Burning Man. It's one and sort of the same thing in a, in a weird way today. That, that hasn't happened, but there's a lot of 
you know, kind of punk rock energy in subculture in saying, hey, I can do what the other person can't. And it just so happens that now, because of technology, that's aligned people in a way that hasn't before. I also think the millennials have a different set of values, um, very, very, very different set of values. And they, more than any other generation in the past, measure themselves by the size of the impact they can have in the world. And that's a critical difference. I think it's also a good time for me. You know, when I came up in, you know, when I got out of college in, in, uh, in it was in the 80s and in the 80s, if you walked into a boardroom and you started talking about passion or purpose or creativity even, or inspiration, I mean, you would be laughed out of that boardroom. You would have been run out of that boardroom. Forget about talking about something like flow and altered states of consciousness. Um, just even kind of the entrance points topics into that. And uh, let me put it a different way. And this is something most people don't know, but it's shocking. So in science, until the 1990s, emotions, internal subjective experience was not even a, a topic we took seriously. It wasn't until the 90s when a man named Yacht Concept sort of traced the um, neuron by neuron chain of
Dressed in his lab coat, Max Lahan sits in his parents' old boiler room, converted into a lab. And he ponders the future often. The future that I imagine is the future, frankly, that we all imagine. He wants to make the world a better place. And to do that, you need one single thing. If you got energy, you got power, you have everything. So to solve this problem, a few months ago, Max took the matter into his own hands and created this electromagnetic harvester out of a coffee can, some wire, two coils, and a spoon. This cost me 14 bucks. The harvester conducts radio waves, thermal, and static energy and turns it into electricity. This wire takes the energy from the air. Down below here, we turn it from AC into DC. We take the device outside and wrap up Max's brother into a string of LED lights. A $14 invention was able to do that. So imagine the same harvester on a scale, 20 times larger. Max's family is thrilled with what he's accomplished, and nobody is more impressed than his twin brother, Jack. Creating free energy, a device that he made in his lab out of 15 bucks, which is pretty amazing. As cheesy as this sounds, from day one on this planet, I knew that... I was put on here for a reason, and that reason is to invent, to bring the future. Max has always admired Albert Einstein and inventor Nikola Tesla. They taught him a little bit more than just science. Make the world a better place, to give the world what it doesn't have so that it doesn't have to struggle in basic things like energy. Max isn't in it for the money or the recognition. My true goal is to help, to invent a future where people can be happy, People can be safe and sound. That's one kid with a whole lot of power. Yes. My name is Sonny Coates, and this, that was the Emerald Lane podcast number 17. Website is em-lane. Dot com. That's mlane.com. Please donate if you like the podcast or rate us on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud. Thanks to everyone for your support and your attention. Until the next time, keep the light on, baby. of line.